GoneMobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. How's it going today, John? Not too bad. It's kind of cool out. I think you might be uh, missing the the nice kind of not too hot summer weather now. How's it going over on your coast? It's uh, it's warm. It's not too crazy over here. Well, it depends where you are. I think like half of California is on fire. Um, thankfully, not the por- portion that I'm in directly, at least yet. But yeah, I saw a report last Friday of like the fire in one area of California got so large overnight that it formed its own weather system right above it. Like these are just not problems I'm used to having to deal with. (laughs) Well, I hope you, I hope you stay out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You and me both. Um, but, but other than that, you know, California is good getting used to it. I finally have stuff on the walls around me and all that. So it's looks a little less bare behind you now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not that you could, you could see it on the podcast, but it's, it's a nicer place to work in with things up around you. Um, but cool. But yeah, I think we can, uh, we could just kind of dive into it. Um, and, and for this show, I'm definitely looking forward to, to this show. Like it's always nice seeing, uh, this came out of, um, seeing a talk from, uh, NDC earlier this year, uh, where it's, it was one of those cool kind of like, you know, stories from the trenches kind of talk, which is always kind of a nice alternative to just pure technical talks. Um, so, so in order to, to kind of dig into this, um, I'm, I'm happy to welcome Philip Ekberg, uh, you know, longtime member of the, the Xamarin community to the show. How's it going, Phil? Hey, it's really good. It's really hot here. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm in Sweden now, and it's funny because we have this heat wave, and it's not really been like this ever before. So we've had like 30 plus for, for weeks now, and uh, we're not really enjoying it. We're complaining, but that's just <laughs> the, the normal Swede. We're complaining when it's too cold and when it's too hot. <laughs> but I'm happy to be on the show. Really get, glad you guys uh, invited me here. Yeah, I, I figured it's probably a long time coming, but it seemed like a good uh, good topic opportunity to to get you on here. Um, you know, and just to to sort of lead into things, I mean, for for anyone um, who might be unfamiliar, uh, you know, with some of the stuff that you've worked on, but also just as a lead into uh, you know what we're really going to dig into today. I mean, can you talk a little little bit about what your your history is with with building apps with Xamarin? Sure. So I've been kind of a part of the the Xamarin community for a long time. Uh, I remember back when we when we played around with like mono uh, mono touch and prior to the Xamarin stuff coming out. Um, so I've been around since then, and uh, I, I spent some time over in Australia where I really hit off on the mobile market. Uh, I worked on some cool cool apps for for different types of projects like banking and some really cool projects for smaller businesses and 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 such. And they were kind of all intrigued by the idea of like, let's do one code base for all the platforms that just works. Because at that time, we were like building things with PhoneGap and other types of cross-platform toolkits, and they didn't really work. So when, when we started out, um, I, I played around with Xamarin and did some C-sharp for other projects. So that kind of just uh, made sense to jump into that track as well. Uh, so I've been around for a long time. I've done a lot of talks on Xamarin and a little bit of Fluorescent courses as well, covering some some um, Xamarin topics as well, and heaps of videos and 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 other top and other types of, of community work as well over the years. So you mentioned um, you know pre Xamarin days, and I always like to ask everyone just to to date them a little bit. Did you have um, when you started? Did you did you have debugging or not? Was there debugging or just console dot write lines? You know, it's funny because I still feel like I don't have debugging always. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> no, I'm just fired. kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, back when I started, I did have some debugging, so I was pretty good all back then. 
So, I mean, obviously, you know, there there weren't as many alternatives around back then either, I don't think. I mean, React Native, I don't believe quite existed, you know, that early on and, and no, obviously Flutter not. didn't either. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, you've you've kind of kept on with, with Xamarin. Um, you know, have you kind of evaluated those other uh, tool sets and, and have you kind of taken the idea of going to use them instead of Xamarin or, or what's the story there? So I think one of the problems with, with me on that part is that I got kind of burned early by other types of cross-platform toolkits. Um, like PhoneGap, you, you kind of got the promise of, well, let's build one code base for all the platforms, use HTML and JavaScript and CSS, and it just looks like a website across all the different devices. Um, so we wanted something that was native on all the platforms, and we got the performance and such, and we could take the um, kind of the penalty of some things are not going to be as easy as if we were working on the native platforms themselves but at least we get an app for all the platforms. So I never really felt like I wanted to look at other alternatives because Xamarin was good enough. Cool. So, so kind of leading into the, the kind of the meat of, of what you were talking about, which was, was titled Succeeding with Xamarin, um, which is a, a pretty awesome title. <laughs> like, so, so within the context of this talk and, and this conversation, like how are you defining success here? Um, so it's kind of... Uh, a few variety of different things. So I think that most people need a good idea for building an app, first of all. Like that's kind of the most fundamental thing. If you don't have a good idea, you're not going to succeed with your app. But then you need to think about um, the code sharing principles that you're going to use in your app. Uh, and even before that, you want to think about, well, do we want to build the app for all the platforms now? Or do we want to focus on maybe building this for just iOS and then build Android later on? Um, sometimes I, I talk about this in my talk and I say that uh, sometimes customers want to focus on one platform and they're very short-sighted and think think only about let's just build this app now di and distribute that to our customers and they don't want to think about the other platforms. Um, and then developers kind of bury themselves into this hole where, well, let's just use Java then or Kotlin to build only for the platform that you want. Uh, but if we were to choose Xamarin for, for that as well, uh, we would set up for a great success in the future. So I think it's, it's, it's not only about you know, um, building for all the platforms from the start, but you can also use Xamarin when you want to build just the Android app now and then add iOS or other platforms later on. So I talk about sharing the right amount of code, which is a really hard thing to measure. Like how, how do we define the right amount of code? Uh, to mm -hmm. share across the platforms. Um, but if we can find kind of the, I don't know, um, you want to find the the perfect amount for your app, like there's not a, a silver bullet for all the different apps out there. Um, so I do talk a little bit about strategies across how do we need to think about building the apps to avoid pitfalls like uh, using a shared code library uh, and then adding if defines for all the different platforms in the shared code where we could instead use interfaces and then do the implementations in the native platforms. So you want to think about how do we write clean code as well as sharing the right amount of code in our, our solution. And then as well as like one more thing that I, I like to point out is that we want to build fast apps and we want to build apps that are really small. So I talk about how, how can we try to achieve fast apps that are also small, which is a really hard problem to solve and kind of depends on the type of app that you're building. Like if you, uh, I have a good example of this. We have this um, 
app in Sweden where you can send money to other people. So they just need to have your, your phone number or you need to have their phone number. You can just send money to them. And this company, they wanted to add a little, um, like a, let's say, GIFs into the app. So you could send kind of like a, a present or a package in the app. Uh, and that kind of increased the app size by 100 megabytes. Um, which is kind of nasty, especially since people, like most people here that needs to send money straight away might have cheaper phones. They might not have that, like the latest S9 Plus, right? So they have limited amount of storage. So I try to focus as well as on not building too large apps and as well as keeping them fast. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that we can we can sort of touch on separately there, but but I want to jump back a little bit to what you were saying about the you know addressing code sharing and you know what's the right amount of code and this is one of those things that's come up, um, you know ha having myself been giving I think Xamarin talks for I don't know eight years something like that like it's you know it, there, there's that balance to be struck and it, and it is hard because um, you know when when part of the sales pitch is you could share a lot of your code well then the the natural corollary to that or reaction to that is like well more code sharing is always better, right? Hmm. Um, and it was one of those things where in a lot of my talks, I would always have to, to give caveats of like when showing graphs of like 60% shared or 70% shared or something of like, that doesn't mean it's like 30% failure. It like, it, it matters what's in that 30%. Like, is that 30% unshared, like the right code to not be shared? And like everything is it's much more contextual than just, um, you know, pure metrics of trying to get to, uh, you know, 100% code sharing or something like that. Um, have you found any any sort of like good rules of thumb for for trying to approach that sort of you know right versus wrong code to share type of thing? Yeah, well, not that it's ever going to be that cut and dry. <laughs> so one of the things that we've tried to do is that so we have this um, this idea of well if if we're doing .NET on the on the mobile right we do .NET for everything else as well, which means that we have ASP.NET backends that run .NET and we have the mobile apps then we have services and other things running in Azure, then. What we do is that we have a local NuGet server, so everything like models and common logic that we need to do on both the backend as well as the mobile, we share that across packages inside the organizations. That kind of removes all the, the unnecessary boilerplate code that we need to have in the apps that we might also need to have on the web backend, um, which is kind of one of the things that you normally see uh, in examples with Xamarin. People add those you know, models and services and, and backend things to a particular shared project and then talk and then do all the UI inside the, the different platform specific layers. So if you remove that, that noise from the code, right, we can focus more on how do we get the platform specific code kind of more abstract, um, which is a tougher problem. Yeah, and then I, I suppose, you know, like back to Greg's comment about not having too much or, you know, having a bunch of shared code and then not having parts that are shared, you know, goes into the the kind of optimization and how you split things apart in terms of platform specific features. And um, can you talk a little bit about how, you know, that that approach of, of being successful and sharing maybe lends itself to spending more time on, on those platform specific things? Yeah, so... Well, if you want to focus on high-performance apps, you kind of not don't want to think too much about how do we abstract this out so it's across all the different platforms. Because you need to do platform optimization on iOS, which are different on Android. So back in the day, we were working on an interesting app where it pulled down news articles for, for an internal organization. And we had shared code for all the different platforms. It pulled down the images for that particular device. Uh, and it looked at the screen resolution to figure out how high of a density does the image need to be. Then it scaled it down on the web backend. 
the problem was on Android, you kind of had a limit on how much memory you could allocate in, in lists. So on certain Android devices, the app tended to crash. And we didn't have that problem on iOS. So that's one of the things that, well, maybe we just pull down the same image for all the different platforms and then do optimizations on the device itself instead of trying to optimize that and put that on a web backend, which kind of just introduced problems when we delivered the apps to the users. Do you want to build your Xamarin Forms apps faster and with less bugs? Or maybe you keep on getting stunned by the same old issues in Xamarin Android development. Now you can with MFractor for Visual Studio Mac. MFractor makes Xamarin app development in Visual Studio Mac much easier. Use the Xamarin Forms code analysis and generation tools to make working with XAML a breeze. And take the sting out of Android development with resource IntelliSense or mobile-specific C-sharp code analyzers. MFractor will free up time for you to write the core app code that actually makes your business money. You can get started with MFractor today by visiting www.mfractor.com and downloading it now. Um, I, I'd like to take a step back and just kind of talk about like the overall theme again of the, of the episode is you know what what how to succeed and what you define as success. And I'm curious, you know, in all the projects you've done and and maybe other people's work that you've seen, you know, have you seen a lot of cases where that people haven't been successful with Xamarin? And maybe you know you could point out some common mistakes that you see those people making, or maybe you've made in the past yourself. Right. So I've been in in, in plenty of projects that failed, uh, and one of the common themes is that well you try to focus too much on either you trying to build a native app using Xamarin, and you do that for every platform. So I got a pretty recent example where we kind of failed using Xamarin, and we decided to rebuild everything and go native instead, because that was the, the easier option. Uh, what we did wrong here was that we tried to build the, the entire native layer, uh, like all the UI stuff, we built that for each different platform even though the UI looked exactly the same across different platforms. And that was purely because we wanted performance and Xamarin Forms was not out when we started building the app. Um, so what we should have done instead was maybe look at things like MVVM Cross and look at other plat toolkits out there that could help us um, abstract the UI parts away, uh, especially when it looked identical on all the different platforms. Um, so I think one of the, the, the common themes across the apps that I've failed with is that I focus too much either on trying to, to put uh, too much platform-specific things into the platform-specific layers, like working too much on the UI, uh, or trying too hard to break those things out into the shared logic layers. Uh, so I think in those times, you kind of focus on the wrong thing. Yeah, and I think, and, and as, as I'm thinking through this um, out loud a little bit, like maybe it's worth kind of splitting up into to a couple different camps of, of mistakes. And mm. and I think that there's like succeeding with Xamarin as like an experienced developer that's already done some of these things. Yep. And then there's also the the category of, you know, succeeding at Xamarin when you're brand, you're a .NET developer maybe that says, oh, well, now I can take my skills and, and go over to the mobile world yep. where now you have all these new variables thrown at you, right? You have iOS and Android and the craziness that's in there. You have all these devices, you have these, you know, new frameworks and life cycles and all of that. Um, and then you mentioned, uh, you know, maybe pulling in a library like MVVM cross or something like that. And there's, there's suddenly this whole new world of, of complexity and layers of abstraction that you have no idea about. Um, and that could be, that could be pretty daunting, right? So like, I'm yeah, curious sure. to hear your take of, you know, if for someone who's coming in new to, to mobile development, um, you know, if you have any sort of like best practices or advice for like how much to bite off or, you know, how much you really need to focus on a platform versus the frameworks and that sort of thing. 
So I think if you're completely new to building mobile apps, like Xamarin Forms is probably the, the best option right now to choose because it makes it so easy for you to build something that kind of resembles how you would build a web form app, right? So back in the day when you worked with ASP.NET Web Forms, uh, kind of the same idea. Um, but then again, if you know C Sharp, it'll be really easy for you to build things like that talks to web backend, and then you can do things on the device really easily if you just Google up how to talk to native APIs. Uh, so as a completely new developer, I think Xamarin is really awesome because you can get an app out there really quickly. Uh, and if I want to build something really fast and get something out in the stores, I'd go to Xamarin straight away. But if I have an unlimited budget, I would probably focus on building a native app using Kotlin and Swift because then we can get developers that know those particular platforms um, to build an awesome app, right? Um, so it kind of depends on the situation, but if you're a totally new developer knowing a little bit of C-sharp and .NET, I'd for sure try to build something using Xamarin Forms because that can get you set yeah, up really fast. I, I guess that's kind of my next question too, is like, you know, what path to success do you see more people um, taking and, and being successful at, you know, using Xamarin Forms nowadays or, or just classic Xamarin or, you know, what's kind of the, the decision factor mm. there for you? So I think there's there's kind of been a shift since Microsoft acquired Xamarin. There's been a, a huge push for getting Xamarin Forms to be really good. Uh, so they're focusing a lot on performance. And uh, I've done an experiment in uh, a recent app that I built where we tried to embed a little bit of Xamarin Forms to see if that work works good. Because that means like if the UI is totally similar across the platforms, we can embed a little bit of Xamarin Forms and then start replacing bits and pieces in the app with Xamarin Forms, because that makes it easier for us to build things quicker. Um, but looking at how that performs on, on Android versus iOS, iOS is a lot quicker than Android, but they're probably working on making that a lot better across all the different platforms. Cool. And then kind of building on that a little bit, I mean, you also mentioned, I mean, you mentioned MVVM Cross and also just MVVM in general, I mean, which has obviously been uh, sort of a, a go-to pattern on the .NET side for for ages now. Um, you know, have you from from your perspective and in the apps that you've you've built over the years, like have has your approach around that sort of thing evolved at all versus you know five years ago versus now? Maybe is MVVM still kind of a a good go-to pattern for all this stuff? I think MVVM is kind of making its way across even like even more places rather than just the like you see it a lot used in in Xamarin forms. But even talking to, to native Java guys and Android people and Kotlin uh, folks, they, they use that pattern as well. Um, so I think we'll see more and more uh, of MVVM. I don't think that's going to go anywhere. And it's a good pattern because it helps you think about abstracting the right amount of things into certain places, but it's not too strict on, on where to put certain things in certain boxes. Yeah, I was kind of surprised actually. That was one of my biggest takeaways from Google I/O this year is that it, you know Google's being really opinionated now on on the approach of using MVVM in their own apps and everything. So yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. Mm. But I'm I'm curious too, like what other patterns do you find yourself being successful with in, in Xamarin apps? Well, it's really hard. It depends on the type of app that I'm building. Like if it's Xamarin Forms, MVVM is kind of the go-to pattern to use for pretty much anything. Um, but when I'm working more in where we have platform-specific layers, we've had to um, to rely a little bit on service locator, the service locator pattern, which is kind of an anti-pattern. Not too happy about that, but it's kind of the 
based on the platforms and the restrictions on the platforms, you can't do like constructor injection on Android. Uh, it makes it really hard to uh, do proper MVVM. Um, if you're if you've ever worked with Kotlin, you'll see that they've introduced these really magical things that inject things during compile time to solve that. Uh, I don't know, it's 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 a mess, but they're getting there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, using inversion of control on the service locator. Uh, pattern. That's kind of the, uh, I try to restrict myself not to use too many patterns. And I talk a little bit about that in my talk as well, that it's, you know, it's, it's easy to focus on patterns and, and working with developers that know all the different patterns and just try to use anything to solve everything, right? Um, but I try to focus just on the, uh, the ones that help me solve the smaller problems. I think the service locator uh, paired with an IOC container is really good. So do you have any particular libraries that or frameworks that you, you know, generally use in all of your apps? Um, it kind of depends. So I've, I've used a tiny IOC a little bit in Autofac. Um, kind of more leaning towards Autofac now, um, especially if you're using Xamarin Forms, you can add things like Prism as well, which is an uh, MVVM framework. Uh, it has a really nice support for Autofac. So um, I'd really recommend using that. Outside of um, you know things like DI and IOC containers and all that, are there, do you have any other sort of go tos? You know, favorite tools in uh, in your tool belt that you you would kind of like do pull into any new like file new project that you're doing or anything? Not really. Um, so it's interesting because one of the things that I'm I'm trying to do um, when starting a new app is to to go into Visual Studio and do a file new project and see kind of the uh, the template that comes with Visual Studio and have a look at where do Microsoft and where do the Xamarin team want us to, to go? So they add things like the dependency service and the messaging center, and they have all these different things added to your, your sample projects. And you kind of take nuggets out of that to, um, to add that to your own project. Um, so I mentioned the dependency service and messaging center, two really good things that come out of, of um, the template projects that I try to add to, to most apps that I work with. Um, the dependency service is just a way for you to kind of do IOC and DI. And the messaging center is a way for you to communicate between, if you have a, a view model and you want to send a message to your activity, for instance, you can say, well, something happened inside my view model. Someone clicked a button or an, a command was triggered. And you can send a message. And then whoever listens for that can enact upon that. So that kind of helps you. I don't know if it, I wouldn't say if it, it avoids spaghetti code, but it at least it decouples things in your app. So you can focus on having clean view models and having clean activities and not having too much cross communication between those. So I try to be very minimalistic in my apps, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. And pulling in fewer dependencies always helps in terms of things like app size and performance and all of that, um, like you were saying. And in, I was going back to what you were saying before about, you know, things like performance and, and speed being really important. Um, I'd be curious to hear what, what your experience is around, you know, introducing things like IOC and, um, you know, containers and all that stuff, which, you know, by definition are an abstraction layer that slows down all of that sort of thing. Like, yeah. Have you found any good approaches for, for maintaining good speed or not paying big startup costs or anything like that? So it certainly does impact the performance. And, and I'd really like to point out that um, we've been using JSON.NET a lot in our apps, uh, but we found that that's one of the biggest performance hits in the apps as well. Um, 
So there's other things that you can use. I think it's called Message Pack. Um, you can use that in your apps. It's much faster to serialize and deserialize anything. Um, um, so try to do that instead. Really helps with performance. And I kind of learned the hard way that if you add support for .NET standard, it pulls in like 200 NuGet packages, or not really 200, <laughs> but it pulls in a lot of NuGet packages. And your app size kind of grows with that. And it does take longer to start the app, uh, especially on Android. Uh, what we try to do to solve that is to uh, turn on end of time compilation and then do a full AOT as well as excluding the DLLs from the APKs. Kind of, that kind of reduces the file size a little bit. It's not a lot, but it helps as well with the, um, the startup times of the app. How much of a, you know, even just anecdotally, how much of a difference in startup time um, do you generally find that you get by doing uh, AOT versus, uh, I guess, JIT? So we had um, one app. I think it took, let's say it took eight seconds and we turned on AOT and, and did a little bit of magic. And I think we got it down to, let's say, four seconds. So 50%. Wow. Which is pretty good. That's, that's um, pretty significant. I mean, even yeah. eight second load time, that's, that's kind of rough. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that. <laughs> I wouldn't blame Samarin though. Like uh, we, we had a bit of pretty bad architecture. <laughs> Have you you know no, noticed that getting any better as as like Xamarin Forum? Like I'm assuming that's with some Xamarin Forum stuff too. Like um, you know I know that's something yeah. something that that team's been working on. So I'm curious to see if you've noticed that kind of gradually improving too. Yeah. So so I mentioned that we do some Xamarin Forms embedding, um, and what we noticed on iOS is that it just works really well. Like if you have a button. Uh, you have a native project, you have a button, you click that, and that transitions into something in Xamarin Forms. That's super quick on iOS. But if you're doing the same thing on Android, you'll you'll kind of see that it's, it's doing something behind the scenes. It's not really compiled properly during compile time of the app. So it's doing a lot of things in runtime, which kind of slows it down a little bit. So you have this one or one and a half second delay when you transition into Xamarin Forms, even on a newer device. And on older ones, it's, it's, it's kind of terrible. Um, but that's just when you do the Xamarin Forms in it, right? So if you have a full Xamarin Forms app, you do that once during startup, and then it's super quick throughout the app. Uh, but I have seen a, a, a huge um, improvement with Xamarin Forms and performance over over the past years. I'm really happy happy about that. For sure, um, and, and we've kind of jumped back and forth a little bit, I think, in in this conversation between you know forms and classic or whatever you want to call it. You know, maybe maybe you're using MVVM, MVVM Cross or, or some other framework. Um, you know, just a, at a sort of high level, like how much do you find that your your approach changes of um, in terms of how you you approach some of these um, you know either architecture decisions or library decisions or, or any patterns or, or what have you if you're using forms versus not forms. So I think uh, with both projects, I think depends on the developers on the project. But personally, uh, I try not to look at a classic project, if you want to call it that, uh, as a .NET developer. I try to look at that as a mobile developer that's an expert in that native platform, which means that I reduce the amount of packages that I bring into the solution to keep it really, really thin, keep the app size small, and I try to just do whatever I can to just use the native APIs and don't pull everything in from UGit. Because I've found that a lot of C Sharp developers, and, and myself included, just want to pull in UGit packages to solve all my problems. There's like a package for everything. Uh, but I try to avoid that when I'm doing classic projects. 
But then when I get over to Xamarin Forms, you kind of work more, at least my, myself, I work more with people that have more experience in other types of .NET apps. They might not have a lot of experience in mo mobility and mobile apps. So I'm more kind of open to the idea of let's just work with this as a, mo as a .NET app and pull in whatever NuGet packages you want. Let's try to, to use MVVM as much as we can and just do it as a proper .NET app. So do you find yourself, you know, when you're kind of doing that more lean approach, um, you know, do you just find yourself writing a lot more code to do some of the things or do you like go pull out, you know, code and instead of pulling down the NuGet, like, you know, copy the code into your project from other uh, open source projects or like, how do you, how do you kind of handle that? I think it's more, yeah, you, you kind of pull in code from, from like Stack Overflow when you find some, some pieces of code that you need in your app. You might find an open source project and you take the parts that you want and you just add a comment and say, well, I got this from, from this GitHub page or this, this repository. Um, so people can update that and know that you didn't write the code yourself. Um, but you know, bringing in the packages, bringing in the DLLs, it, it kind of does make it not even not, not only the, the runtime or the startup of the app, but it also when you compile the app, it takes a little bit longer if you have a lot of the dependencies. So, so I think it's a good approach to try and pull in the code that you need into your app, but don't overdo that. Like if you need all the files from, from the GitHub repository, don't just pull it all into your project, just <laughs> yeah. reference the new good package. For sure. So, you know, me being me, I, of course, I have to bring up the, the whole concept of, of testing here, right? Um, so, so I'm curious to hear what sort of approaches you take towards towards testing your apps and and like what you would recommend that 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 people do in order to make sure that you know once they release their app, it actually you know it works. Yeah. So I've tried to use the uh, what's it called now the uh, the Samarin Test Cloud or App Center Test Cloud or I don't know they've they've renamed that a few times <laughs> so I, I can't really remember what it's called now, but we've tried to use that a few times and I think that's a that's a good approach if you have a have an app that's not changing a lot. Um, and if you have a strategy from the start to test your app, I think Test Cloud is really good. Because what you have to do is that you have to give you all your different things, specific IDs, um, but it's not the normal IDs that you set in, in your code bank. You set accessibility IDs in your app. And you have to do that for everything that you want to access through a UI test. Uh, and if someone else is building the UI test, it's really important that you have this communication between the developers and the testers that build the test themselves. But we've tried Test Cloud, and that works well. It takes quite some time to run like an extensive amount of tests. But it's a good way for, for us to get you know, information quickly when we release something, um, or even if the app starts at all, right? So, But you should probably test that before you release the app. But on some <laughs> platforms, it might not. <laughs> it's always nice to get some feedback from, from real devices. Um, but with Test Cloud, we've found that in a lot of cases, there might be limitations to Test Cloud itself, or there might be devices that are not configured properly, so they don't run the apps that we have. So you kind of dig into problems that you wouldn't really have in the real world if you just release the app. Um, so then again, uh, we've tried, of course, we do unit testing a little bit, kind of depends on, on what we try to build, right? So I mentioned that we have Often we do the back end in .NET as well as the 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 front end in .NET with Xamarin. Uh, then we do all the um, the shared code is NuGet packages, and we try to test that on the back end instead. And then there's no purpose for us to test that on the on the app side as well. 
But if there, there's app-specific code that you really need to test, I would write a unit test for that. Um, but it really depends. I want to try to keep the apps really dumb. So there's a lot of logic in the back end instead, because then we can quickly fix something that's broken. Uh, and if we do the classic approach, you might end up having the same implementation for both platforms. But if you can move that away and move that to your back end, that kind of helps a little bit. Just test it in one place. And so it kind of depends, right? So I, I would do some unit testing and some UI testing. And then, so in, in terms of, of devices, I think that's another sort of interesting topic within itself too, because there's always that balance that you have to strike as, as a mobile developer of like, well, how many devices do I need in my house? And I was reminded of how many I had when I just moved across the country and I was pulling all my devices together and realized that in the last eight years, I've amassed uh, quite, a, quite a stack of devices here. Um, but if yep. like, you know, if I was a new mobile developer getting started, um, you know, what's your sort of recommendation of, you know, what, you know, how many devices do you need to have, you know, in-house versus, you know, using something like a test cloud or, or what have you? I think if you're just starting out with Xamarin and you want to test your apps quickly, just use test cloud. Um, that's a really cheap way for you to just get it out to a lot of devices. Um, and if you got an MSDN subscription, I believe there it's included now a few hours of test cloud. I, I can't be sure, but you can check that out. Um, but you know, get one Android, get one iOS, have that in your home and, and, and work with that. And then the rest of them you can test in test cloud. Um, but then when you start to, to work more with Xamarin and, and if you do it professionally, I would say that you need a lot more devices, but it kind of depends on the app. So. I've been working with public transport for a while, and that means that we need to cater for everyone. Uh, so we've had devices with Android 4, um, which is kind of super old, and we have like you know really old Android devices, which is kind of the problem uh, with developing Xamarin apps. It's the Android portion, which is kind of the problem for any mobile developer because those, <laughs> the fragmentation of Android devices is really crazy, right? You have so many so many old phones with old OS OSs. Um, it's really hard. Um, but if you're going to get something, just get one Android and one iOS and try to um, at least make it work for the latest version and then use Test Cloud. So I'm curious, are you targeting you know anything lower than 4.0 on Android these days? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we've bumped it to, uh, I think we're going to bump it to 5. I'm not sure. But um, we, we're kind of looking at the statistics and looking at what users try to use and, and want to use. And if it's like 1% and it takes a lot of time to uh, to maintain the app for that particular version, like there's no use in, in doing that. Just bump it up and they're going to upgrade their phones anyways, right? So beyond the you know the advice about new users getting devices and testing there, um, I'm curious, do you have any other like general Xamarin developer for, for new Xamarin developers advice that you would give? Um, so I think that like try not to focus too much on the uh, the what's underneath the native APIs. Like don't dig too much into uh, how does this work on iOS and how, how does this work on Android. Especially if you're working with Xamarin forms, just try to use the forms portions and and try to just play around with Xamarin a little bit and see how it works out. Um, and look at it from a C# -sharp developer's perspective, and then. Try to do the same thing in Xamarin Classic and see how you would approach the same problem on the native platforms, and then dig deep into uh, the native APIs. It kind of gives you an idea of, you know, how do you work with the different cells and how do you work with the different, you know, activities and intents and, and all that on the different native platforms, uh, which you don't have to care too much about if you're just using Xamarin Forms. 
So I think just approach it from, from one end and try to just get a mobile app out there. I think that's the most important part. Yeah, ship and learn, right? <laughs> exactly. Cool. So this is a this is a total aside from, uh, or maybe it's not um, from from what we were talking about. But one of the things I noticed in in watching the your talk from NDC was that you were using uh, Rider, which you don't normally mm. see in uh, in a whole lot of Xamarin demos. So I'm definitely curious to hear uh, you know anything about your experience in using Rider, you know, in general, but especially for uh, mobile app development because I haven't seen a whole lot of content out there about that. So, so some background to that. Uh, I started doing Xamarin on Windows and tried to, you know, have a Mac on the side and do all that. But then I moved to a corporate network and things just didn't work out at all. Uh, so what I did was I moved over to a Mac and did all the development in in Xamarin Studio at the time, and then it, it became Visual Studio for Mac. And then I felt like it's I'm missing out on all the resharper shortcuts. I'm missing out on all these refactoring capabilities. Everything just takes a long time to do in Visual Studio for Mac. Uh, I miss all those things, right, from, from ReSharper. So I gave Brider a try, uh, which is a, uh, a um, IDE from JetBrains. And it just has all the things from ReSharper. So I can do all the things refactoring-wise that I could do in, in Visual Studio for Windows with ReSharper installed, uh, which is one of the main reasons that I, I wanted to use it. Um, so we had this really big refactoring job that I had to do. And I felt like I don't want to do that in Visual Studio for Mac. It's going to take me four months, where doing it with Rider would take like two days, um, because I knew all the shortcuts. Uh, but then you miss out on things like uh, working with the UI. Um, I'm not sure if Rider's working on, on the UI parts. I don't know if it makes any sense. But as a C-sharp editor, it's really great. It, it helps me be more productive with the code. And then I can move over to Visual Studio for Mac when I'm doing all the, uh, the UI things if I need the visualizer for that. That's interesting. And then and it did seem like there was at least some support for uh, you know, running mobile apps and connecting to, to emulators and stuff. Is that right? Oh, yeah, for sure. So yeah, you, you can do the debugging as well. And it's, it's actually really good. Um, um, it's been a while since I, I compared it to Visual Studio for Mac, but with Writer, like you get all the things that you would expect from from a debugger. You can you can step over things, step into things, step out of things, and you have all the the uh, the resharper madness with uh, I think it's a decompilation and all that. So you can look at all the things that you want to want to look at. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, if it's been a while since you've kind of done a comparison, that probably speaks pretty well to the the quality of the experience that you're getting. I'm guessing. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty good. Like it's my go-to editor. I really like working with it when I'm doing Xamarin stuff. So um, if I'm not on Windows, like if I work on Windows, I will use Visual Studio with ReSharper installed. Uh, but when I'm on a Mac, like Writer is really good. It's really fast as well. Like I can open up multiple instances, and it just navigating through the code is super quick. And I spend most of my time writing code in like the view models or or moving things around rather than you know dragging and dropping UI. Yeah, I think historically one of the things that that kind of drew me towards uh, Rider for for some of my stuff, especially when working on a Mac, was um, just I mean basically the the fact that Rider had the ReSharper unit test runner and all that stuff that I always found to be yeah. really really nice um, and a little bit lacking on the the VS for Mac kind of side of things, which it has been improving, which is nice. Um, but having the you know the full fledged Rider IDE with like that nice legit unit test runner was always a nice plus there. Especially for, like you yeah. said, the view model layer and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Like, we can't really blame the ID anymore for there not being any tests. So <laughs> we have to write our tests now. 
which is a good, it's a good, I think. <laughs> I would have to agree. <laughs> um, so I did, you know, we were, we kind of jumped all over the map a little bit. Um, definitely a lot of good advice in there. I mean, is there anything that we, we didn't touch on that you'd want to make sure to, to call out? No. So I think we, we talked a lot about like the things that I, I really think is important if you want to succeed with your app, just make sure that you get an app out there. Like don't worry too much about what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, make sure that your code is testable and maintainable. And you do that by thinking a lot about how do I abstract things in my app? Uh, but don't overthink it as well. Like uh, it might sound like it's uh, talking uh, against each other, but don't overthink what you're doing in your different layers. Uh, and if you want to jump onto MVVM, that's a really good pattern that you can use in the app to make it testable and maintainable. Uh, and I think that's really important. And the the most successful apps are the ones that are actually released in the app stores. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't do any good for for users if it's just sitting in your IDE, right? No. So there's not really a silver bullet to succeeding with an app, right? It's just making sure that the code is really easy to work with and that you're not adding things to your app that you don't need that slows it down or makes the app too large. I think those are are like the... Um, the measurements for something that succeeds, right? So if the users don't want to download the app because it's too large or if it's too slow, that kind of a, that's a testament to your app not being successful. Awesome. Well, I think that makes for a, a pretty great wrapping point, and we'll include uh, definitely include a link to the the talk in your blog and in, in the show notes. But um, thanks for coming on the show today, Philip. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thanks as always to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile.